This is Music and the Church, a podcast that brings you insight into today's diverse worship landscape by connecting the dots between beliefs and practices so that you can have a happier, healthier ministry. I'm your co-host, Sarah Bariza. Last fall, I realized something big about my musical habits. I play piano and organ, but because of how I was trained, I have really different approaches in how I play and how I feel about my playing. With piano, I was improvising from an early age, and my lessons didn't focus very much on technique so much as how to invent beautiful accompaniments to hymn singing. My organ lessons, on the other hand, focused a lot on technique, especially as I was learning how to play on the organ after years on the piano, and most of what I learned was classical repertoire prepared for recitals. So now I'm much more technically skilled as an organist, but I'm afraid of making mistakes. But when I play on the piano, even if I play something I didn't intend, that's just part of the tapestry of the improvisation that I'm creating. It's not really a mistake, and I'm not afraid of it. When I realized this big difference, I started thinking about playing for fun and how I could have more fun playing the organ. Around the same time, Dr. Ashley Danu, a musician and educator, posted a blog post about playing for fun. This podcast episode is Ashley's and my conversation about why it's so important that we musicians play for fun and how we can do that. Hi, I'm Crawford Wiley, an organist in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And I'm Sarah Bariza, a researcher and church musician living in Cincinnati, Ohio. But not for long in Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, Since our last episode in March, I found out where I am moving for my husband's medical residency. And it is St. Louis. Hurrah! So if you're in St. Louis or know somebody who is, hit me up. I would love to get into the music world in St. Louis. So actually back in January on episode 7, we had an interview with David Sinden. And he is a musician working in St. Louis. So I already have that connection there. We uh, recorded that episode while my husband was doing his interview for this residency. So I was like, oh, I'll tag along and do some fun stuff like record a podcast interview. So that's the big news in the Brisa Tan household. Um... (laughs) How are you doing, Crawford? I'm pretty because great. Because we are recording this during Holy Week. We're actually Week. recording this on Holy Thursday morning, so I'm ready to be dead. I don't know about you. <laughs> on a lighter note, we're going to be talking with Ashley Danu about ways to play for fun. But first, we wanted to talk about why to play for fun, besides, of course, that it's fun. A lot of times as musicians, we think, oh, we're professional musicians. We we are serious about this. We shouldn't be having fun. That's for right, amateurs. Right, right. We practice so that we have, you know, things for a recital or so that we have something to play for a voluntary mm-hmm, on mm-hmm. a big Sunday. But but what if you played with no end in sight? Not not as in endless, but as in, <laughs> as in without a specific goal. Yeah. In thinking about play, and I've been thinking about this for quite a while. I've checked out some books from the library. And one of my favorites that I've read is Play by Stuart Brown with Christopher Vaughn. It's called Play, How It Shapes the Brain, Opens the Imagination, and Invigorates the Soul. And in the academic study of play, you know, the word is play. But since we musicians, you know, play our instruments, uh, throughout Crawford's and my conversation, and then um, my conversation with Ashley, we talk about playing for fun to distinguish it from the activity that, that we do for our jobs, which is play our instruments or yeah, which is sometimes also fun, but not necessarily yeah. done for that. 
So, so tell me what play is. Well, according to Brown, one, it's actually really hard to define play. And he thinks it's much nicer if you could just say, oh, well, imagine little dogs rolling around, little kittens rolling around, rustling on the floor, or um, someone riding their bike. So that, that's the mental image of play. But play in the sense right. of having it defined has a lot of attributes that as, as a whole form this activity that we call play. And the attributes include apparently purposeless so what you just said in terms of it's endless, as in the point of it doesn't it doesn't have a purpose, it's done for its own sake. Right. There, there is no, and the recital is now over. Yeah, oh, and we're done with this. Whereas when you're doing something for fun, well, you want to get up and do it the, the next time. So that's another attribute that is voluntary. You're doing it because you want to. And there's an inherent attraction. It's something that you want to do. It's not some, some, something that someone says, you should do this. So I guess the fact that we're making this episode, here, you should play for fun. <laughs> but but actually, like, if the, you don't the point want here, to, don't do it, because that's not fun. That's not yeah, play. Well, exactly. Yeah. So it's not even so much about the activity, like what kind of activity you choose, so much as that you're choosing one that is attractive to you, that you want to do. I can just imagine being vaguely neurotic and being like, oh, gosh, now I need to play as well. Okay, okay, let me schedule that. Yeah, well, I think that the more important thing in our context where the activity we do is play, I think that we have to say it's okay to play and it's not a waste of time. Right, right. Because it can seem as though like you could have been spending time you know, learning a fugue or something, which is great, yeah, but also exactly. you feel like you have to have something to show for it. Whereas if you're just sitting down and improvising, you know, for half an hour, you don't, you haven't made anything. This is actually reminding me of the next quality of play, which is freedom from time. It's this idea of like, you just want to keep going and you don't really notice that the time is passing. And I can remember as a kid and even as a, you know, a college student improvising and losing track of time and then being like, oh no, I didn't learn my fugue. And oh, right, right, right. That, that, that feeling of like, oh, I haven't been doing what I should be doing because I was playing. So there are three other attributes of play, according to Brown, which is a diminished consciousness of self, which is what it means. You know, you're not feeling self-conscious as you're playing. You're just in, you're in what you're doing. Right, and there's right, right. an improvisational potential which, I mean, as musicians, that's just, it's all there. So you're not set by these strict boundaries. You're maybe making up the rules as you go along. Yeah. And then oh, the definitely. last attribute is a continuation desire, which just means that you want to do it again. So all these things together are the attributes of play. Taken together, we can understand how play is something that we can do in lots of ways of our lives. And as professional musicians, we sometimes forget that play is also something that is totally great to do in music. I'm thinking of the benefits of play and ways that play, you know, at times in our lives when we have just played for fun, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, ways in which those times have actually been not not to not to undermine the non-productive nature of play, mm -hmm. but that those times actually are productive in a sense. Yeah, it's yeah. it's play that gives you the sense of freedom on your instrument that frees yeah. you from the constraints. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. like I remember when I was first learning the organ. And my mom would drop me off at the church to practice for an entire afternoon. You know, I just had the whole church to myself. And I'm sure that my organ teacher wished that I spent more time actually practicing the music that I was supposed to be learning. But I just spent those hours and hours and hours playing, like mm -hmm. in exactly the way that you're describing, on the organ. And that's, 
it, it was those hours of, you know, gaining intimacy in a sense, because intimacy itself is a thing gained by play, isn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah, you know, there, there yeah. is no you, like, goal. a great knowledge of what of what you're doing. One of the things that I think is really relevant here about play is that it's a way of learning the rules of a game. So in the sense of we're learning the rules of the organ, we're learning we're learning the rules of the pipe organ. We're learning how it works. Yeah. We're learning how our feet work or you know, our hands or whatever. Um and what, we're learning what sounds work together. Yeah. Or, and yeah, what doesn't yeah. and what kind of chord progressions work and which ones don't and what really sounds good with this particular hymn accompaniment. Um, One of the things that Brown said, and I'll I'll put a a link to the page number in the show notes, he said, playful interaction allows for a penalty-free rehearsal of the normal give and take of social groups. And now here we're talking about like solo music, but I think that it applies here. Like what you do in play is penalty-free. Yeah, which sometimes opens you up to a freedom to explore things that you might not do in another context. Mm-hmm. If your improvisation completely fails, oh no. Yeah, so you can try, again. you know, a really wild key change or something that you would never try in the context of a service. I mean, speaking purely as an organist right now, like that's that's something that when you're playing for fun, you can just experiment with something with no sense of a need to produce a practical product. And that yeah, frees you. It's for its own sake. And that doesn't mean that there aren't huge benefits to play. Any listeners who are interested in this idea of play, I really would encourage you to read this book because it also talks about like play in a much broader biological sense in terms of like, like, well, why do mammals play? What's the point of that? Or like, why would mammals play when it's actually endangering them and they could potentially die? Right. What are the benefits of it? Brown mentions goats, mountain goats bouncing around on the mountain. And you know what? Some of them fall off and die. So like, well, why hasn't that trait for play gone away? Yeah, that's like some of our improvisations where we fall off the mountain and die. <laughs> I know, it's a, great, it's a great metaphor. And I have fallen off the mountain and I am dead. Ashley, it's so great to have you on the show. Can you tell us a little bit about the business that you have for church musicians and music educators? Sure. I run a blog and I've been writing for a few years now. I started out kind of just documenting my personal experiences in church music and music education and things I was figuring out as I went. And then it started to become a little bit more of a way to connect with other church musicians all across the country and even around the world now. Um, I write for children's choir directors and handbell choir directors. I share music recommendations and Uh, Basically, my background is in music education and church music, and so I I try to focus on the intersection between those two things and all the opportunities that we have for teaching spiritually, for teaching music um, in church music settings with a variety of different size programs and groups and ensembles. Um, So recently, I developed a couple of online courses geared towards church musicians and, again, focused on music education Um, specifically for children's choirs. That's one of my courses. And then the other one I developed was for keyboardists and organists and music directors that are looking to develop their keyboard skills for a variety of different worship settings. So always looking for for new and creative ways to um, incorporate music education into church music settings and how um, church musicians can do a, a better job of planning and creating and making music with those that they are serving with in their churches. 
that actually leads right into the topic that we're discussing today, which is playing for fun or making music for fun, since that's one of the ways that we're creative as church musicians. So how did you start thinking about playing for fun as a musician? Well, in grad school, I had a professor who was brilliant, is brilliant, still a musician. And I remember him talking one one day in class about how he was learning a Bach chorale by ear just for fun, just for himself, like not as an assignment or a project or he was going to perform it anywhere. He was just curious and loved Bach and wanted to play it by ear. Obviously, he had the skills he could just open up the score and play it at the piano. Like he didn't need to go through the process of learning it by ear, but he wanted to challenge himself in that way. So he talked about listening to it every night while he was washing the dishes after dinner and he would listen to it in the car and he'd just hum along. And he challenged himself to not sit down and pick it out at the piano until he could sing all the lines all the way through from memory. Oh, wow. And so he it took like weeks and weeks and weeks uh, before he knew it well enough that he could sing all the lines as he was listening to it. And then once he could sing through whatever part, he would sit down at the piano and figure that out, how to play it. And then he would add in another part and add in another part until he mastered all four parts of the chorale by ear. Um, little bits by little bits. And it's sort of been in the back of my mind since then, this idea that someone as brilliant a musician as he is, and obviously he does music all day, every day for his job, but he still was looking for a way to challenge himself creatively outside of that. And so it's kind of been in the back of my mind since then, this idea of playing for fun and and is that important to our work as professional musicians? Um, so in terms of my own experiences, I think last summer... Um, I bought some new church music books for the first time, and I just sat down one day after dinner to sight read through them. You know, you mm. want to flip through and like see what's in this book and what these arrangements sound like. And um, I just kind of got lost in the moment for a little while and just, you know, flipping through and playing f- for fun. I was doing it for myself. I mean, it was, it's church music that I would eventually play in worship services, but I wasn't doing it for that. I wasn't doing it for the purposes of choosing music for Sunday or thinking about how I would use these arrangements in the future. I was just playing for the the enjoyment for myself. And there was something really freeing about that. So I've tried to make a point, and my husband is a composer. He's a musician as well. So he does the same thing. We try to find these pockets of time, usually after dinner, towards the end of the day, maybe late afternoon, where we just sit down at the piano and we just play for ourselves. And one of us might be around to be part of it or to, you know, to be to play along. So he plays the saxophone and I play the piano. Mm. So sometimes we'll play together. Um, we put on little uh, concerts for our families at the holiday time when we go travel. You know, we put on like a little Christmas program or something. But oh, those, so nice. those little things of just, you know, playing for your own enjoyment and for the sake of the music itself really feed the other the rest of the work that we do as musicians i think and so for me it's just it's been nice to have the balance of having some time making time to play just for my own enjoyment and then having the time when i'm playing for work purposes it feels like playing for fun is partially about like playing playing for fun gives you things in your more like serious or professional aspects of music making but there are actually a lot of reasons to play for fun oh yeah definitely i mean there's there's a lot of reasons why we play for work right our jobs and Mm -hmm. what other people need and gigs and we're teaching and things like that but when you're only playing for those reasons it it starts to feel like work and so then we lose the inspiration and uh, the connection to that creative process and the feeling that we're actually making something that is a reflection of ourselves that's personal and real. 
So I think for me, I found myself in that place and maybe others, those of you who are listening have found yourself in that place as well. So for me, the secret to getting back to that heart of music making, as it were, having music be that form of, of personal expression and creativity is playing for fun and playing for your own enjoyment. And I actually just finished reading Daniel H. Pink's book, Drive. Have you read that? Mm, no, I haven't. It's called Drive, The Surprising Truth About What Motivates Us by Daniel Pink. And he talks about motivation and particularly intrinsic motivation, which is behavior that's driven by this sense of personal fulfillment and enjoyment or doing something for the sake of itself, not for external rewards or fame or applause or money or notoriety mm -hmm. or any of that. Um, so playing for fun is really coming from that place of intrinsic motivation. And I think it can help prevent burnout. It can help you work through creative blocks if you're getting stuck somewhere or you're just feeling like you're going through the motions. It can help reignite that creative spark. And it's also a way to remember why you started in the first place, what first led you to pursue music, why it, and how it captivated you, uh, perhaps as a child, perhaps in your youth, when you first really knew, like, this is what I'm going to do with my life and why, why it's important to you. It, it gives you that purpose. I feel like that's part of sometimes we we who are professional musicians don't think of playing for fun is that playing for fun is something we associate with oh well that was that was when I was um, you know a kid and um, I wasn't serious I wasn't serious about this yeah. and and we associate playing for fun with amateurs and amateurism. It's easy to think I I play my instrument enough for work that that I don't need to do it in my free time as well. Like there should be some boundaries. Oh, yeah, yeah, like I need to do something else. I need a hobby. You know, <laughs> right. I need something that's not music in yeah. my life. But I think for music, for musicians, we are lifelong learners. A lot of us just innate lifelong learners. And mm -hmm. so we're always looking yep. to better ourselves and to challenge ourselves and to continue learning. There's this there's this sense of curiosity and mm -hmm. wanting to try new things. And so that's kind of where playing for fun can come in too, is challenging yourself to do something that's not work. So even, and this this is sort of a crossover area, maybe a gray area, but a couple years ago in my church position, I decided, I went to a conference and was, was inspired by the people who can just play by ear without having the notation in front of them, mm -hmm. which has never been my strong suit. I always would prefer to have it written out ahead of time than to yeah. improvise in the moment. But this person um, could, was demonstrating how to just reharmonize this hymn at sight and to create these modulations and transitions and, and talking about how you could use this in a worship setting. And since it inspired me when I got home to start creating my own transitions into the doxology each week from the offertory. Oh, now, I know like, for some like churches, from the anthem like, into, into the, or anthem yeah, or offertory into yeah. the doxology. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Now, for some churches, that's like standard practice and the organist does that every Sunday automatically and like the congregation is, just expects there to be some kind of transition. But for mm -hmm. the churches that I have served in, it hasn't been standard practice. And so there's usually the offertory or the anthem comes to an end and you cadence and there's a pause and then you start the transition or start the um, introduction for yeah. the doxology. Yeah. But sometimes they're in different keys and sometimes they're in different meters. And so mm -hmm. it there's sometimes this little bit of a jarring moment as you like change into something else back to back and there's not there's not a spoken element in between them. Yeah. So I started thinking, how can I, you know, create this smooth transition to go from the end of this piece of music, whatever it might be on a particular Sunday, into the doxology, which is always the same. 
And so it might need to include a modulation. It might need to change meters. And so usually it's only like four to eight bars. Yeah. But just how to dovetail the two pieces together. And so that kind of became my creative challenge each week to sit down with whatever my offertory was going to be. Because usually at that point it was a solo piece Mm -hmm. that I was playing. So I had control over, you know, what I was choosing for the offertory. Yeah. And then I could take time to figure out how to transition. So that almost became a playing for fun thing for me because I didn't have to do it. My yeah. job was not requiring yeah, me to do that. Yeah, it's not part of your job description. But it was for my job in a yeah. sense. But um, it was for me as well in, just, in terms of just challenging myself to do something creative with music. Yeah, it's like growing a different part of your brain in a, a really fun yeah. way. Like, the, like this idea of like, I'm going to be a beginner at something. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And there's something really humbling about that, but it's also exciting to have something new that you're that you're learning and challenging yourself to do. And, and the self-motivation that comes with that. Mm-hmm. Like I think about mm-hmm. my professor who was, you know, studying this Baccarat and like he could have had the fulfillment and the enjoyment of playing that Baccarat by just reading the score, right? Mm-hmm. He could yeah. have just cited yeah. it. But going through the slow process of learning it this different way was mm-hmm. challenging him in a, in a whole new set of ways. And learning it so deeply, like, you know, even pieces that I have memorized, like I can't sing each individual voice part. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I can't, you know, pick out the tenor line and just sing along, even if right. I have something memorized. Right. Really in- internalizing it in a whole new way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which which gives you the like the joy and satisfaction of knowing something really well. Like you're you're mm-hmm. now an expert on the the parts of this of this chorale, and that's that's satisfying. Mm-hmm. I think you're experiencing it in a new way too. Yeah, you're experiencing on a, a on a deeper level than you would if you were just sight reading through it, mm-hmm. or or even just learning it, you know, and memorizing it really well. Next up, Ashley and I have 10 ways to play music for fun. Anything from playing by ear, to playing in a chamber group or band, or composing. And you can see all 10 of these listed in today's show notes at musicandthechurch.com 16. But here's the thing about these ideas. None of them are capital P play in and of themselves. If you remember from Stuart Brown's definition of play, play is done for its own sake. It's fun, and we just want to keep doing it. So if you try one of our suggestions and it just isn't fun, stop. Adding to your workload isn't the point. Having fun making music is the point, and I hope that these ideas will inspire you to figure out what makes you happy as a musician. So uh, you and I, as we were preparing for this episode, we came up with a lot of different ways to play for fun. So I'll let you lead off. Sure. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is learning something by ear. And I'm actually walking through this process with several of my piano students this year because they come in all the time and say, I want to learn how to play this. So Mm -hmm. right now we're actually doing a piano Olympics challenge based on the Winter Olympics that just finished. And so each color of the Olympic rings is representing a different musicianship skill that we're going to be focusing on. So blue is the first ring. We focused on sight reading, developing those skills. And then we did gold or yellow, which is like memorization and performance and polishing skills. And then black is oral skills, the green is creativity skills, um, and then the red is technique. Mm -hmm. So when we get to each of those categories, um, for the oral skills category in particular, I'm challenging my students to learn a piece by ear. So some are choosing happy birthday. I had a student yesterday choose the final countdown (laughs) he wants to learn (laughs) by ear. And then I had a student earlier this week that picked uh, Rewrite the Stars from The Greatest Showman. Oh, 
And so we're working through this process of like, how do, okay, how do you start? Like, do you know this song? Can you sing it? You know, let's listen to a recording. Let's figure out what key it's in. You know, can you figure out what note it starts on? And we, you know, we work through this process together. That's definitely not how I was brought up in piano. Mm, yeah. Um, or organ, learning by ear. It was always, it was always reading um, was emphasized. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. that for me is, is a way of kind of challenging myself in a new way as a teacher and as a musician. So I don't know if you have any experience with well, learning. Yeah. When, when, uh, when you mentioned that in the email about playing, playing by ear, it made me realize something new about myself, which is that I think the first time I had fun playing the piano was as a little kid learning to play. I think it was um, holy manna, dun da da dun 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 da 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 And I, I remember learning, you know, plunking that out on the piano, being like, oh, whoa, I did something really cool. Wow. Whoa, I figured that out. <laughs> and, I, you know, I was probably like, it was, I was really young, so I was probably like seven. And it was, oh. it was like such this, like, oh, wow, I can do that. And, you know what a what a delight that was it set the, set the stage for the the kinds of interests that i have even now as a, as an adult which are primarily in the the church music world and you know the d- d- absolute delight that i have in hymnody but it was like oh what a what a happy memory another way to play for fun that i was thinking about was was learning how to improvise if that's a new skill for you then teaching yourself how to do that in baby steps. Um, if that's something that you've done before, you know, just mm-hmm. improvising for your own enjoyment. Or improvising in a different style. Yeah, exactly. I improvise a lot, but I often play like the, oh, look, I've uh, gone from C major to A minor. And uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I do like the same chord progression. And I'll, and I'll think like, oh, well, how about I just, you know, no one is paying attention during communion. So I'll push myself to try something different and not just do the same kind of thing that I would normally mm-hmm, do. Mm-hmm. I mean, improvising is like being able to talk in language versus reading mm-hmm. what someone else has written. So I think the freedom to express yourself creatively in that way by, yeah, exploring different chord progressions, different patterns, different rhythmic variations, mm-hmm. different mm-hmm. melodic variations. Yeah. Or as an organist, like being like, oh, I'll pull on this different registration or yeah. that registration or let's let's try this for this hymn. Oh, I'll try. I'll pull on this this stop. Yeah. And, and along the same line is reharmonizing, too, um, to give a particular text, you know, a different tone or color. So when you're accompanying hymns, you know, thinking about reharmonizations, you can use hymn harmonizations that match um, or draw out the meaning of a particular verse, I think. Um, so mm-hmm. trying to be creative in that way and also improvising your own you know, repeated patterns and things that you can use in hymn playing. Yeah, and that that goes back to you modulating between the offertory and the doxology. Yeah, definitely. So there's there's all sorts of ways to kind of infuse that kind of creativity into the work that you're doing in in a church setting, in a worship service setting. Mm-hmm. So yeah, reharmonizing a favorite hymn. Just even if you didn't use it in a in a worship setting for your own enjoyment, and for the for the challenge of learning about harmonizations and chord progressions and chord substitutions Mm -hmm. and things like that playing with others too is another thing i thought of whether that's informal chamber music settings or you have a band that meets on friday nights and Mm -hmm. and you get together and you play keyboard instead of piano or other instrumental groups where you're playing like broadway show tunes or just different styles of music that are outside Mm -hmm. the norm from your everyday 
music playing. Well, that, that was something something else that you brought up, which was just like playing outside of your normal job or the the usual styles that you would that you would play in. Mm-hmm. Like like for me, I, I haven't done this yet, but I always am thinking, oh, I would really like to take some jazz classes because I don't know how to improvise in that kind of way. I don't know how to do that. But it's so it's like related to like, well, I have keyboard skills, but wow, that would really be fun to, to learn how to do that. Yeah, yeah. And just for the sake of learning and and growing as a musician and being able to play in multiple different styles and and like to just learn from other musicians. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's definitely true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think putting mm-hmm. yourself back in that position of being a learner instead of being an expert. Um, because when mm-hmm. we do music as a profession, we're often looking at ourselves as as the expert, as the teacher, as the one who knows yeah. how to do these yeah. things instead of to well, and we around. often have to justify that to people. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I am the laborer is worthy of the hire. And, you know, this, yeah. this isn't just a hobby. You, you do have to pay me for, for my skills. But that doesn't mean we can't also have fun. True. Yeah, definitely. And I think yeah. in, in if you do any teaching, you know, for me, it's it's been important these last few years with the group of students that I have to challenge myself to learn how to play in different styles of music because a lot of them are interested mm-hmm. in oh, yeah. learning how to play songs they hear on the radio or songs that they hear in movies or video game music mm-hmm. or a Harry Potter theme, or, you know, and and so I have to kind of st- yeah. stay up on those different styles so that I can provide some support and some scaffolding for their learning. Not that mm-hmm. I have to know how to play all those things before they do. Um, I kind of feel like we're almost learning in tandem with each other sometimes Mm -hmm. especially with you know they come in with a song that they want to learn by ear that i don't know you know we kind of have to learn it together Mm -hmm. yeah so that's that's been fun for me this is making me think also just more generally that playing for fun can can just simply be learning a new piece of music and oftentimes that isn't like in the for fun category and then it's like well you know this is this is the anthem in three weeks and i need to learn the the accompaniment or whatever but it can also just be a sense of like you last summer I'm just going to play through a bunch of music and see what I like. Or right. um, this this past year, I did a, a recital of minimalist music. And that started just as mm. me being like, I like this music. And no, I'm never going to play 12 minutes of Philip Glass for a church <laughs> service. But man, I am having so much fun playing it for myself. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, well, let's let's make a little recital out of it. But that was that started just as me like having fun. I want to enjoy myself as I practice. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, my husband and I did that. We did a couple of um, short programs of saxophone and piano music several years ago. Mm. We did like a set of art song transcriptions and we we linked them together based on the text. We did a musical pairs concert where we invited some friends. Every, Every pair of musicians had to prepare a pair of pieces that tied together in oh, some so way cool. and they got to have choice they got <laughs> to have choice great. over like what the pair was and why the two things related to each other so some people picked mm-hmm. you know two settings of the same song by different composers some people picked two pieces by the same person some people picked two songs about night or whatever you know they had the same theme or, or whatever um and then they had to kind of explain that to the audience why they thought these songs worked well as a pair and then perform them so it, it was really fun that was that was a really fun program that we did um, because mm-hmm. everyone was only responsible for like 10 or 15 minutes of the program and everybody did mm-hmm. something different. So things like that that just bring people together and and give you a sense of ownership and autonomy in making those choices mm-hmm. for yourself. And, you know, this is what I'm interested in playing and learning and I've never you know, worked on this particular piece before. And so I want to learn it for this occasion. And if there mm-hmm. is an occasion, that's yeah. cool. If it's just for you, that's also cool and, and just as fulfilling. Yeah. This is making me think of how 
creating events or experiences for people in your church or just for yourself or in your community, that can be a way of having fun that like I didn't think of it first because it's not specifically about the pieces that you're doing. But I um I created a hymn sing at the church where I work recently, and that was so much fun for mm. me to do. And it's completely not in my job description. I did it because I wanted to. And like I had a really great creative time doing that and collaborating with some musicians in the church. You know, I, I wouldn't necessarily be able to do that at every phase of life because it's not part of my job specifically. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there are phases of life where you just don't have time for extras. But, you know, I, I do have a little bit of time for extras right now. And I'm, hey, let's have, let's have some fun with, with the time that I, that I have. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And doing things mm-hmm. that are new and different and you haven't done before gives you a creative challenge in terms of planning and figuring out how you're going to mm-hmm. structure it and what you're going to include. Yeah, just it's, it's like using a different part of your brain. And like for me, like I, I also have a lot of fun like creating something that other people enjoy. So that, so that was part of the satisfaction in it for me. But also just like, oh, this isn't something that I've done before and this will be fun. Yeah. Well, I think about that too with like Christmas music. Anytime that we're coming up to Christmas, you know, obviously we have all the carols that we're practicing and the cantata music and the anthems and extra things in the services that we're, we might be playing for. But there's also all this great secular Christmas music that is, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. nostalgic and like brings us back to childhood and family traditions. And But that's mm-hmm. not music that we play in church settings, um, but it might be music that we play in teaching settings for our students or on a, mm-hmm. on a Christmas yeah. recital or just for fun. Like, again, my husband and I travel mm-hmm. around the holidays. Usually after Christmas, we go see his side mm-hmm. of the family. And, you know, often we'll put on like a little Christmas program with those old favorites, oh, White so Christmas and, you know, the the old favorites. And um, there's something about playing that kind of music just for fun that always, you know, brings me personal fulfillment too. I'm so much looking forward to moving and getting a piano again. I had a had my own piano that was given to me by my parents and grandparents when I was growing up. Mm. And I had to sell it several years ago because I was moving, I think I moved three different times. And I, I couldn't, it, it wasn't a, a wise financial move to move a grand piano three times in like four years. <laughs> um, just not not a thing. It was like, it was, it was a nice piano, but it wasn't worth that much money yeah. to move it that many times. But so so I don't have a keyboard at home. I don't have a piano. Um, Actually, actually, that's not true. We have a little plastic keyboard at home that my little toddler loves. But, you know, but so so I so I'm not hanging out playing out of the hymnal with my husband singing right now. And I miss that so much. Mm. And, um, oh, man, in a couple of months, I'll be able to do that again. And that is, that is going to be capital F fun. That is We're fun. We're going to have a good time with that. Yeah. When you, I remember yeah. being in a season where we didn't have an instrument at home and had to go to school to practice mm, or go to church to practice. Yeah. And, yeah. There is something mm-hmm. about having it in your own living room, again, where you feel like – Yeah, and you can just, like, sit down. Yeah, you can just sit down mm-hmm. after dinner or, or on the weekend or whenever you have some free time and just, just play for yourself. Yeah. I feel like it keeps it keeps the music in your, in your head in a different kind of way because you don't have to be like, well, here's the time that I'm at church to practice. I will practice for the next, you know, X amount of time. Whereas if you're at home, you can play a little bit and think about it and play a little bit and it, it's not so – um. You know, it's not necessarily as focused, depending on what you want to do, but it also can just be a way of like making that part of your life in a more continuous yeah. kind of way. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about that before, but I I do kind of feel like the times in my life when I haven't had my own instrument at home to practice on, we use that word practice, and that's mm-hmm. kind of how I felt about my instrument when I had to go somewhere to play. You know, like I mm-hmm. oh yeah, I have yeah, two hours. Like, well, I, you know, it takes this much time to drive, and this yeah. is this is my slot, and I have to finish by this point because I have to get to this other location. Right. 
And I um, have a certain thing, set of things that I need to practice and work on during this time. And so I don't have time to play mm-hmm. other things or to just play for myself mm-hmm, or to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when you're at home, like you have these little pockets of time of like, oh, well, you know, the food is simmering on the stove and but I don't have to stir it constantly. So I've got like three minutes here and five minutes there. Yeah. And you can just sit down and play. Yeah. Yeah. You know, play for fun. So any, anything else that we want to say? We've talked a little bit about playing for fun in groups. I think one other thing we had mentioned um, in our emails was practicing a new skill for yourself. Mm, yeah. And that's something that you kind of do on your own and not not necessarily with others. So you could also do it in a group setting. Yeah, but, that's true. you know, whatever that anyway. might be for you, that's just like a, a challenge, a, a new musicianship skill that you want to get better at, you want to develop. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's reading open score. Maybe it's learning how to read chord symbols and play from lead sheets or mm-hmm. uh, chord oh, charts. Yeah. Maybe yeah. it's reading figured bass. Yeah. Um, there's lots of different things out there. Maybe it's getting better at rhythmic reading or melodic patterns. You know, you have like sight reading exercises you're working on. You want to get better at, at mm-hmm. sight reading skills. You want to get better at musical creativity, like we talked about a little bit. So I think that's another mm-hmm. way to kind of kind of approach that time at the piano or at your instrument um, when mm-hmm. you're not doing it for work purposes is to think about the new skills that you'd like to develop just for your for yourself. For some people, composing can be an extension of improvising yeah. and can be a, a new or fun fun way to do things. I don't really think of myself as a composer in that I don't write published pieces and I haven't written any big pieces in, since I was an undergrad, but I'll occasionally make up little melodies. Like I um made made up some songs for my son that we sing like prayers prayers oh, that we sing in the car. That's so sweet. And um and like that that was actually just really fun and I spent weeks and weeks like being like well if I can remember the melody tomorrow I know it's a good melody (laughs) Uh, (laughs) like you know super super low I mean no stress whatsoever this was my little fun thing you know as we go to preschool and yeah that was a lot of a lot of fun and I, I think one of the things with playing for fun to circle back to where we began is that it does bring professional benefit but that's not necessarily or it, it isn't really the motivation. Correct. Yeah. And, you know, there's no professional benefit to me having, you know, set a prayer to a little melody that I can sing in a gravelly 630 a.m. kind of voice. <laughs> but it, it's it's a fun. It's a joy. And I think like it makes me a more whole music, musician, mm. a W-H-O-L-E, a whole musician. Like I, I'm I'm more myself because I'm able to express myself musically in those different kinds of ways. Yeah. Yeah, that's so powerful. I think, again, yeah, coming back to that motivation piece. So whether or not your your actions are led by this desire to earn something or receive something external like money or, you know, this is for my job mm-hmm. and so I'm getting paid to do this um, – or mm-hmm. it's going to get you some kind of um, career boost or, or notoriety of some mm-hmm. kind versus this internal sense of satisfaction and joy and uh, fulfillment mm-hmm. that comes from, yeah. from, you know, being in the flow state, as they say in research terms. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah, just, just doing it for the sake of itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not that it doesn't bring a professional benefit or that, you know, it isn't wonderful to be in, in a like a church music position, for instance, where you're able to do these really creative things mm-hmm. and, you know, not be like, oh, crap, I need to go to my second job, um, you know, right. so I can pay my rent. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's wonderful if, if this can be part of 
part of your your profession, but that's not the the motivating. Like that's you know we want that intrinsic motivation, right, right, and what we're doing. That's not what's driving it. One thing I was hoping we could talk a little bit about is a course that you have coming up this fall about keyboard skills, yeah. and that seemed really relevant to this theme of playing for fun because for so many of us, having keyboard skills allows us to have fun in the music that we make. Yeah, yeah. I, d- I taught this course for the first time last summer, and it was sort of I created it based on a course that I took in grad school that kind of just opened up my mind to, again, this idea of playing music for fun and being creative with it, not just doing, going through the motions and doing kind of the required steps, but but taking it one step further and being creative with it and and developing skills in that way um, that give you the freedom and flexibility to do that. So I designed this course specifically for church musicians that are in playing positions of some kind. So maybe you're an all-in-one mm-hmm. music director who's also accompanying, or you're the keyboardist that's playing in the traditional service at 11 and the praise and worship service at 9.30, or you're the organist that's playing mm-hmm. two or three s- services every Sunday. So it's mm-hmm. an online self-paced keyboard skills class for people in those types of settings. And it's designed basically to help people develop um, sight reading skills, score reading skills, harmonizing skills, learning how to harmonize melodies different ways and reharmonize and be creative with that. We go into playing and accompanying hymns, anthems, contemporary pieces, again, creatively, mm-hmm. tools and resources that people need to lead and support both choral and congregational singing. And again, I try to include a variety of different worship settings because I know a lot of people out there are yeah. are playing, you know, traditional and blended and contemporary and, you know, there's a whole spectrum of mm-hmm. different types of worship mm-hmm. settings there. So yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. This is something that we're like, it sounds like you learned some of this in, in graduate school, but it's often something that's not taught especially for people as organists like we might learn certain kinds of improvising but that's not really as much part of the curriculum as you know learn the big Bach prelude and fugue which you know nothing against that right but this is just a different kind of skill set and um, gives you a chance to be a beginner in a kind of way that can be really fun. Yeah. The course that I took in grad school was not geared towards church music settings so we did some hymns as part of the curriculum but it, it wasn't a church music keyboard skills class. So it got me thinking in terms of how we use some of these skills and we need some of these skills in church music settings. But a lot of times our regular music degrees don't don't go there specifically. So yeah, what yeah. you're saying is a, a lot of the skills are not actually things that are taught. They're just things that you learn through experience. Um, so there's definitely mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. some of that in the curriculum, just things that I've learned through the years in a variety of different churches and and worship settings. Yeah. This has been so much fun talking with you. Yeah, this has been great. I'm very inspired to like keep down this path of playing for fun. <laughs> <laughs> That's it for this week's episode of Music and the Church. You can find all the resources Ashley and I discussed and get a link to Ashley's website on this week's show notes, musicandthechurch.com slash 16. And we want to know, how do you play for fun? Email us at musicandthechurch at gmail.com or leave a voicemail at 513-580-4282. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please share it with your friends. The best way for people who love church music to find this podcast is through word of mouth. You can also subscribe to our monthly newsletter at musicandthechurch.com slash sign up.